and worship. God, we pray that you open our hearts and our minds that we will be receptive to what the Spirit of God has to say. Bless the preparation, the proclamation of this word. May you be glorified. May your people be richly blessed. Enable us to worship you in spirit and in truth. In the marvelous name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And the church said, Amen. Amen. I am so very delighted to see each of you this morning. You look so good. Amen. I'm also especially delighted to have our son and his wife, our son, Major, Army Major, Linnell Pickett Jr., and his lovely wife, Yoko, with us today. And they are um, traveling. They're on vacation, and I'm going on a cruise. But the beautiful thing about it is they called and said, Dad, we want to be in church on Sunday mornings. And so they scheduled everything around it so that they could be with us this morning. And I am just so delighted. And I cannot be more pleased with my son. He turned out to be a fine, Christ-centered, God-honoring young man with a beautiful, godly wife. And so it's an honor, Linnell, to be your dad and Yoko to be your father-in-law. God is good. Amen. 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 Uh, The scripture Pastor Stevens read, I want to turn our attention to it once again, uh, in Galatians chapter 5. In verse uh, 21, I'm sorry, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, as verse 23. Today we continue on our sermon series entitled Building an Effective Team in 2015. And that's what we want as a church family. Amen. We want an effective team. We don't want an ineffective team. We want an effective team, a church family that is making inroads uh, for Jesus Christ, that's building the kingdom of God, that's pushing back the darkness that seems to be so prevalent all around us. We want to be an effective team. We, the members of Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church, desire to be used by God in tremendous ways in 2015. All the things that have happened in 2014, past and gone, the good as well as the not so good. We made major strides, but we cannot rest on past laurels. We are moving forward in 2015. We want to be a dynamic, a powerful instrument as a church in the hand of God to do great things for God this year. So we want, to, we, we want to, to do tremendous things. A part of making that desire a reality is, is recognizing and adopting and implementing Bible-based core values. That's going to be a big part of us getting where we need to go. We need to, we need to identify, and then we need to implement Bible-based core values. What are core values? Well, again, core values are principles, ideals, standards that drive the attitudes and the behavior of the organization. So it is the attitudes and actions of the Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church family, or any church family for that matter, will be, will be driven by the, our belief system. In other words, whatever we believe will be what drives us. In today's text, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, Paul lays out before us what he refers to as the fruit of 
the Spirit. Paul wrote, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. How are all of those for core values? How, how are all of those for things that, that infiltrate our minds and shape our attitudes and drive our behaviors? The word used for the fruit, for fruit in the text is a word that means crops. It means harvest. It means produce or proceeds that come as a result of one having been in a relationship with Jesus the Christ. When we invite Jesus into our lives to be our Savior and our Lord, the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us. It's a supernatural phenomenon. We cannot explain it, but we know that when we receive Christ, the Spirit of God moves into our lives and some wonderful things begin to happen. The Holy Spirit takes up residence within us and we begin to bear a spiritual harvest. We begin to, to bear fruit of the Spirit. Now, notice the hierarchical arrangements of Paul's uh, uh, power-packed lineup, if you will. First on the list is love. First on the list, that's the first thing Paul mentions is love. Now, let me quickly remind us today that the love Paul uh, wrote about is agape love. It is not puppy love. It is not transient romanticism, that is, we we are romantically involved for a little while and and then move on someplace else. It is not fanatical infatuation, if you will. It is not a, a moonstruck, sentimental dreaming. It is not the Hollywood entertainment version of what love is. It is not what we see on television and in the movies identified as love. That's not what Paul is talking about. No, what Paul is talking about is the real deal. Agape love exceeds feelings or emotions and it involves our wills. Case in point. The love, the agape that drew Jesus to Calvary's cross to pay our sin debt, to pay the sin debt that you and I owe, the sin debt that we could not pay. The love that drew Jesus to Calvary to pay that debt was not about feelings at all. In fact, a good indicator of how Jesus really felt about the agony he endured on the cross is expressed in Matthew 27, 46. Here's here's what he felt about it. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Eliah, Eliah, lama sabathani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You see, you see, my brothers and sisters, feelings have a propensity to check out when the going gets tough. But not Jesus. He, he hung there. It was not about feelings. Feelings have a propensity to check out when the going gets tough. Feelings have a predisposition to break camp when the heat is on. 
But not Jesus. It wasn't about feelings. He, he hung right there, shedding his blood for us. Feelings have the proclivity to walk away when the forecast calls for stormy weather. But not Jesus. It was storming all around him, but he hung there for you and for me. That was not about feelings. That was about the will of the Lord to do what's best for us. Since the love of Jesus was not built based upon feelings, but based upon will, he acted in the best interest of all of us in spite of how he felt. He endured the hateful, the hideous, the hostile atrocities of the crucifixion event, not because it felt good, but because he willed the very best God had to offer for you and for me. That's why we're here today. What was the best that God had? Paul gives the answer in Romans 5 and 8. God commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's agape love. But secondly, secondly on Paul's list is joy. Now the Greek word Paul uses in the text for joy is shara. It means to have inner gladness or deep-seated pleasure. This joy, God's joy, is not controlled by external motivating factors. Aren't you glad about it? That the joy that God gives us is not controlled by external factors. That is to say that the joy of the Lord is not manipulated, moved, melted with a messed up by the things that happen to us and around us. The joy of the Lord is different from that which the world calls joy. Have you noticed that? The joy of the world is more of a temporary setup than a permanent fixture. For example, the world's equivalent of joy is always nagged by some incompleteness, some lack, some unfulfilling thing, some missing ingredient, some uncertainty, or some vast insecurity. For those in the world, for those without Jesus in their lives, there is always the haunting awareness that something can go wrong. There's always the daunting concern that circumstances will change. There's always the taunting fear nagging at people that don't know God that situations can at any instant arise and alleviate the temporal pleasures of this life. This lingering, this nagging. This pestering awareness keeps those who are without Jesus on the edge of their seats, wondering and worrying about what will happen next to steal their temporary joy. 
You work around people like that. You live in neighborhoods with people like that. Always worried, always concerned about what will happen next to turn their lives upside down and take away their temporary joy. Always worried, always concerned. They ask themselves the question, will it be sickness? Will it be death? Will it be the loss of a relationship? Will it be a devastating shift in the economy? Will it be conflict in the Middle East? Will it be Al-Qaeda? Will it be ISIS or a thousand other uncontrollable events? Whatever it is, people who reject Jesus, reject the only hope they have of obtaining and maintaining lasting joy. Back home in South Carolina, where I grew up, the Jehovah Missionary Baptist Church would rock some Sundays. As the congregation sang these words, and they still resonate with me, even as a little boy, I sat there and I, and I watched the spectrum of people singing these words. They sang this joy that I have. The world didn't give it to me. The world didn't give it, and the world can't take it away. They sang with such fervor, such conviction, such joy that it touched my life. Singing these lyrics, you might think, were people who had it made. People who had life in the, in the, in the, in the, in the grip of their hand. People whose life had been a crystal star. People who had crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's. But, but such is furthest from the truth. Singing these lyrics were people who were living through turbulent times. People who were living through trying times. People who were living through terrible times. But through it all, the joy of the Lord was their strength. Many of them didn't have much in terms of this world's goods, but they had joy. Many of them were misused and abused on a daily basis, but they had joy. Many of them were neglected and disrespected, but they still had joy. They had the joy deep down in their souls, the joy of the Lord, and it showed. In fact, it was that same joy of the Lord that not only comforted the saints, but it called the sinners. What what do you mean, Pastor? Well, Well, that joy comforted those who knew God, those who had a relationship with Jesus. What a comfort it was to come and hear the pastor preach about God and the joy of the Lord and hear the congregation sing about the joy of the Lord. It comforted the saints to know that we had a God who would take care of us in spite of. But it also called sinners. 
people came to the church because they wanted to get to know the source of joy. So it is with us. May the joy of the Lord impact our lives, empower our lives, improve our lives to the point where people will come seeking our joy source. Can I tell you something? When people see us rejoice, When they see our joy, whether it's at school, whether it's on the job, whether it's in the community, when people see the joy of God in us, they want a part of it. Nobody wants to be around people who are sad and distressed and depressed all the time. People who are mean and bitter and angry. That turns people away. But when they come through the doors and they see a joy for people, they want to know the source of our joy. They'll come seeking. May we live and practice that core value, that fruit of the spirit of joy. Until people will come seeking our source. May the joy of the Lord in our lives be rich. May it be relevant. May it be reliable to the point that people will want to know he who is not only our joy source, but our joy supply. May the joy of the Lord provide us with peace and power and perspective to the place where people will come to meet he who is our joy sustainer. In other words, they want to know the one that keeps us in the pocket when all around us is falling apart. They want to know who it is that sustains us in turbulent times. May the joy of the Lord be so ingrained in our various system woven into the fabric of our spiritual being until people will want to come to know Jesus for themselves. When they come, when they show up, when they come seeking and searching, then we can tell them his name is Jesus. He is the source of our joy. He is our strength. He is the sustainer of our joy. He is the one that keeps me up when I feel like being down. He is the one. He is the author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, so says Hebrews 12 and 2. When they come seeking the source of our joy, when they come because they see the joy of the Lord in our lives, then we can tell them, and we won't even have to force it on them, we can tell them our God is an awesome God. He can move mountains. He can keep us in the valley. He can hide us from the storm. Our God is an awesome God. When they come 
seeking the source of our joy, we can tell them our God is an awesome God. For he reigns from heaven and above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. When they come, and they will come because of your joy, we can tell them what a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. And we can't tell them that if we're sad. If we're sad and down, they won't come. But, but, but if we're upbeat, if we have the joy of the Lord, they will come. When they come because they see the joy in our lives, in our church, we can tell them weeping may endure for a night, but joy will show enough come in the morning. Yes, it will. When they come seeking the source of our joy, we can tell them his name is Jesus. And then we can join the words of the hymnologist who said, wrote, joys are flowing. Like a river, Sister Comforter has come. He abides with us forever, makes the trusting heart his home. Blessed quietness, holy quietness. What assurance in my soul on a stormy sea. Jesus speaks to me and the billows cease to roll. That's our joy. That's our statement. That's our commitment for 2015. 